to jump right in to the fifth chapter of Ephesians as we work our way through the book of Ephesians in our sermon series. We've been studying together um, right from the beginning in Ephesians chapter 1, we're in 5 now, and Paul's been dealing with the preparation of believers to live victorious in a sinful society. And what we've learned over the last several weeks is that the same issues that the Ephesian Christians faced in first century AD are the same issues that we face today in our world. Last week I began my message by reading Ephesians 5 verse 1. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. The Apostle Paul commands those who follow God to imitate him. In other words, do as Jesus did. As beloved children, we enjoy a father-child relationship with God. A child naturally seeks to mimic what he or she sees in a loving father. And Christians, in the same way, imitate what they see in Jesus. Paul emphasizes in the following verses verses 8 through 19, where we're going to be today, that Christianity does not look like a cleaned up version of the old life. Christianity is a whole new life. Christianity is walking in love. It's walking in light and walking in wisdom as Jesus did. Therefore, the church is called to walk like Jesus. I'm an 80s kid. I thought about queuing up the Beastie Boys this morning. Walk this way. <laughs> Talk this way. Okay, all done. Anybody ever heard of the Beastie Boys? <laughs> Walk like Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you for its power. Lord, we're excited about just chewing on the truths. Lord, just drinking from the well this morning that is your word. I pray, Lord, that your word would go forth and, Lord, accomplish what it's meant to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen. The Apostle Paul here in chapter 5 is describing how walking is simply a metaphor for how to live the Christian life. And I encourage you this morning to, to take notes. I'm going to give you some good stuff this morning. I was a landscaper um, and while I was attending community college in Rockford, Illinois, I worked at landscaping and I worked with um, one of my friends, um, Jose, and we, Jose would always be like, he'd be like, Lance, what's in your picnic basket? Hey, woo-woo, what's in your picnic basket? He would just make these comments because I would come with like this big bag full of food and refreshments for the day. and. And I would say, um, Jose, I've got some stuff to share. So the bigger the bag, the more to share. So I've got a big bag this morning of some goodies that I want to share with you this morning. And so we're here in Ephesians 5. And walking here that we're going to be talking about walking is a metaphor for how we are to live the Christian life. And this idea begins in Ephesians 4, verse 17, with the warning Verse 17, it says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility or uselessness of your minds. 
Paul then describes how that is and goes on to encourage the believers in Ephesus and how they should live now that they are in Christ. And he says, you are to put off the old, okay? And then put on the new. Like if you're going into a dressing room with something new, you don't put it over what you already have on. You take off the old and you put on the new. There's this putting off and putting on. I like how the, how the message translation talks about this in Ephesians 4, verses 20 through 24. It says, but that's no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you have paid careful attention to him. You've been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life, has to go. It's rotten through and through. So he says, get rid of it. Put off the old man and put on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. Everyone knows that walking is taking two steps forward, right? And you repeatedly do that. You take two steps forward and you take another two steps forward. And you repeat that process and you're walking. And this is similar to how we live the Christian life. We are repeatedly putting off the old and putting on the new. Stopping some stuff that we're doing and we're starting new stuff, right? We're stopped putting negative and hurtful things in our minds and we're putting positive, encouraging things in our minds. And by the power of grace, Jesus has saved us, delivered us. And changed us. I love what 1 Peter 2.9 says. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's talking about the church. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So Paul says in light of the truth of all this, I encourage you as beloved children to walk in light. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. It says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Note that verse 8 doesn't say at one time that you once lived in darkness. It says instead, you were darkness. You were darkness. Think about what it's like to be surrounded by total darkness. When Lisa and I were dating, Lisa invited me to come home with her one weekend from college to visit her, her parents for the first time. She lived on a farm in Fulda, Minnesota. Fulda is down towards the southwestern corner of Minnesota, close about an hour and a half from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. 
Worthington is the closest larger city there on I-90. Um, and it's a good 25, 30 minutes away from their family farm. And the first thing that I noticed when we arrived at the home of Lisa's parents was that there wasn't any street lights. There wasn't many other houses. The houses were miles and miles apart. It was just all open fields. And when the sun went down, it was dark. I mean, really dark, pitch dark. See, in the city of Rockford, where I grew up in Illinois, it was hard most of the time to get a view of the skies. I grew up in a apartment complex. And there was all the lights from the different apartments glowing versus the street lights and the signal lights on the street. It was hard to see the stars, the brightness of the stars in the night sky. But out at Lisa's parents' home, the moon is bright when it's full. If it's cloudy or if the moon is partially covered, it's even more dark, so dark that you can feel it. And as a city boy, I found that quite spooky. <laughs> it was around December when I visited, and the wind would just howl and with the darkness and the howling of the wind and the blowing and the cold. It was just not what I was used to. See, darkness is uncomfortable. Darkness is dangerous. Darkness is fearful. And this pretty much sums up a person's life without Christ. You were darkness. They are living in the full embodiment of darkness. It's interesting how the dictionary defines the word darkness. If you look it up, it says that darkness is the absence of light. Rather than being defined by what it is and what it possesses, it is defined by what it's not and what it lacks. See, we like to attach all kinds of characteristics to darkness. We play spooky organ music to accentuate darkness. We get pictures in our minds of old houses and thick fog and um, overgrown forests, graveyards, tombstones, basements or attics. That's where we find darkness. Or we think of darkness as what's violent, what's filthy, what's rude, what's racist, pornographic, but these are all byproducts of darkness. These are the forces or spirits that latch onto a person in darkness. See, it's like walking into a dark basement. You feel this dampness, you feel this coldness, spiders and other creepy things find their dwelling there. But that's what the dark attracts over time. But darkness simply is the absence of light. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. So we think of darkness as the absence of light. Darkness is actually the absence of Jesus, who is the light of the world. See, without Jesus in a person's life, there isn't any hope in and of themselves for turning on the light either. So I was thinking about this, I thought about Lazarus, Mary and Martha's brother. Lazarus died and was put into the grave. Four days later, Jesus shows up, but Lazarus is already dead. And what did Jesus do? Did he ask 
Lazarus to decide to come out of the grave? No. Did he give Lazarus a choice and hope that he would choose right? No. The Bible says that he commanded Lazarus, come forth. He called Lazarus back to life from the dead. And that's a picture of our own salvation. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We talked about our life before Christ. We were like walking zombies. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were unable to choose right from wrong. We were ignorant of the truth, unable to discern spiritual things. It took God's spirit calling us forth from death to life. And if he didn't, he would have never come because you were dead. You were darkness. But Paul says in the last part of verse eight here, but now, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. There's a well-known saying that says, as the moon is to the sun, so is the relationship of the Christian to God. See, our light is not our own. We simply reflect the light of Jesus. When my two sons were younger, they liked glow-in-the-dark toys. I remember, I don't know if it was Josh or Caden, they bought this um, glow-in-the-dark frisbee or disc, and they were frustrated. They walked into the bathroom and turned off the lights. I'm like, this thing is broke. It doesn't work. It's a rip-off. It's a phony. You know, and like, Bring that here. I just spent a lot of money on that, you know. We got reading the instructions, and it said that you had to soak it first in light. You had to expose it to, to light for it to shine. Doing a little bit more research, I found that glow-in-the-dark toys have these phosphors that are energized by normal light. So you let them soak up light, then watch them glow on their own. The more they soak up the light the more they reflect that light. And this is the way it is for us as Christians. We soak up the light of Christ by spending time with him in prayer and worship and reading his word. Then we shine out the light that we absorb from those moments with our Savior. Church, you are the light of the world. Jesus has created you. He has redeemed you and called you to shine, to reflect the radiance of Christ. What happens if we don't let our light shine? What happens when we don't live out our calling? People won't see Jesus. They will wander around aimlessly in the darkness. How many remember the song, This Little Light of Mine? You know, a lot of us grew up singing this in Sunday school and children's church. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine. And that's what Paul says here. Walk as children of light, letting your light shine. And then in verse 9, he says, For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. See, there's evidence that comes there's proof that comes from being the children of light. If you're truly walking in light, these three things that Paul lists here in verse 9 are going to be the fruit of that light in your life. And those three things are goodness, righteousness, and truth. 
As David said, Dave said up here just a moment ago, it's not a result of our own works, but it's the Holy Spirit producing that fruit in our lives. The first one, goodness. Goodness can mean doing the right thing in a quiet, gentle way, like giving a bottle of water to someone who's thirsty. But did you know that goodness can also be, or also mean tough love when the situation calls for it? Like you'll not let evil stand, especially in the place where goodness is meant to manifest itself. See, goodness can be doing good to one another, but it also can be tough love, speaking the truth and love, taking a stand for righteousness. And friends, as believers, especially right now, we cannot shy away from the tough things that we need to say and do. We are not to be abrasive or hurtful. We're not to be rude or disrespectful, but we do need to be tough, loving, but tough. And we see that even with Jesus as he turned over the tables of the money changers in the temple. So this, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Second fruit is righteousness. Righteousness has two parts. We are, because of our salvation, because we have been washed by the blood of, of Jesus, our sins have been um, washed away. Our guilt is gone. We are in right standing before our Lord. When he saved us, God declared us righteous. He took away our sin and guilt. We are holy or right in his sight. But since we possess God's righteousness, we also pursue right living, right thinking, right doing. We do what's right. And the third fruit is truth. We live our life out in the open. What you see on Sunday should match the way you live your life Monday through Saturday. We live as children of truth, people of integrity. We're trustworthy, we're reliable, we're honest. In verse 10, Paul says, and trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. To discern means putting every thought, word, and action to the test in order to discern what does Jesus think about this? This is so proper. As you face important and different situations before you entertain certain thoughts or participate in certain activities, before you make um, important choices, before you post something on social media or say something to someone else, pray and ask your Heavenly Father. Say, Lord, I'm your son or I'm your daughter. Your light is in me. Show me now as I make this choice, if I say this, if I post this, if I make this decision, will it be pleasing to you? In Jesus' name, amen. And listen for his response. The Bible also says, if you need even more help, if you find it hard to discern even the voice of God, that there's counsel, that there's wisdom in, in, in the abundance of counselors, and there's safety there. We seek out the counsel of godly friends. I so appreciate the body of Christ. I appreciate when my son comes home on Wednesday from being with one of the parents in our church, and I asked him, how was youth group tonight? And he 
He downloads the things that he's learned, the counsel that he received from one of you guys in the church. That's what it's about. It's about the community. It's about the body of Christ. It's about their safety and the abundance of counselors. It's seeking out the advice of godly friends. To do this takes effort because the current of the world is going so strongly in the other direction. Paul says it's as hard as waking up in the morning. Look at verse 14. Speaking to the church, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to get up from a good night of sleep. Lisa's awesome at this. She can just jump right up. She can have a catering order in the morning that has to be delivered at 6.30, meaning she has to be up at 4, 4.30, you know, prepping and, and getting that ready to deliver. And she's like, boom, she sets the alarm. She comes back sometimes before I'm even up. <laughs> and I'm like, I lean over, I'm like, good morning, honey, wake up. She said, I've already been up, prepped, delivered, back home, back in bed. Back when I was in Bible College um, at North Central University in Minneapolis, I lived, or my dorm room was right above Pete Drake, the Dean of Men. And I would set my alarm to get up for 7 a.m. Pentateuch. And everybody hated Pentateuch because it was at 7 a.m. in the morning with one of the most monotonous, monotone speakers, professors that you could have. And I had a friend next door, I'm like, what's the secret for getting up and getting the Pentateuch on time? And he said, go to bed with your clothes on and then wear those same clothes so that you don't have to take time putting your clothes on in the morning. Like, that's a great idea. My alarm would go off at 6, 6.30, and it would go off and I would not hear it. And then I would feel the arm of my Dean of Men, Pete Drake, across my chest, across my bed, turning off the alarm. And then he would kind of give me this gentle nudge to let me know that he was frustrated. He'd say, my wife is pregnant. And you just let your alarm blare every morning at 6, 6.30. You sleep right through it. There's so many times I have big plans for my morning, they're ruined by, hey Alexa, can you add 10 more minutes? <laughs> Paul says, wake yourself up. The world is sleeping in death. Don't, don't go with the flow. Get up. Get up. Third way to walk, verse 15. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Some of your other translations say redeeming the time because the days are evil. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In other words, walk in wisdom. Wisdom means learning to think correctly about those things that are not necessarily spelled out in Scripture. And I think that word redeeming is really important in verses 15 and 16. It says, redeem the time, because the days are evil. Meaning the culture with which we live in right now, in these days, it's evil. Which means we want to grow closer in our relationship with God. We've got to be intentional about it. 
you're going to grow close to God, you have to be intentional about it. You need to redeem the time. You can't coast into closeness with God. It takes intentionality. 1 Corinthians 10, 23, one of my favorite verses because of the truth it speaks to me. It says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. The Christian English version states, some of you say we can do whatever we want to, but I tell you that not everything may be good or helpful. In other words, I may be permitted to do this, but does it advance God's purposes in my life? I can play video games all day. I have permission to do that if I choose to do that. But is it beneficial? Is it going to help me to redeem the time? Is it going to help me grow? Maybe you have relationships that are not wrong, but are the people that you're hanging around with helping you grow spiritually? Friends are the future you. You become like the people you hang out with. It may be permissible, but Lance, is it beneficial for you? Write that down. It may be permissible for filling your name, but is it beneficial for you? Here's another question. In light of what we know about the world right now, how should we be spending our time? See, friends, the church is on a rescue mission. I was thinking back to Rock Valley College in, in Rockford. See, when I graduated from high school, I thought I was going to be a full-time business. I signed up for Rock Valley because everyone said, hey, rather than going to, to um, Northern Illinois University over in DeKalb, Illinois, why don't you go to Rock Valley? It's cheaper. You can transfer your generals, your credits there, and then you can pursue the rest of your bachelor's degree, your undergraduate degree, and, and spend less money. But the issue was God was doing something in my heart at that time. In speech, I had a speech class, and they said, you need to do a speech on introduction. And I chose to introduce Jesus to my class. <laughs> my friends would stand outside the classroom and pray while I was doing that. Sociology, same thing. I would write about my relationship with Christ. English, and in a descriptive paper and how my friend came to Christ after living a life in sin. And I remember uh, my counselor bringing me in the office and saying, Lance, I, I don't know if this is the career path you're supposed to take. And I said, well, that, there's something like stirring in my heart. I just have this passion. I want to redeem the time. I think I feel called to full-time ministry. And she said, I think that might be a better path for you. So I transferred my credits to North Central and pursued a degree in pastoral studies. Now, I'm not telling you this morning that all of you should be in full-time ministry. That's not the case. But are you using 
your career, your platform that you have been given to spread the gospel and build the kingdom of God, or are you building the kingdom of you? We just got back from a week in Florida a couple weeks ago. And what do they do before you take off? The flight attendant gets up, and the first thing they do is make you aware of the safety part, right? It's in the back of your seat back, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you kind of zone it out. You know, and she's like, if the oxygen mask falls, you can almost, like, repeat it. Make sure you put it on the child first. And, and, or make sure not, not put it on the child first. Put it on yourself first. <laughs> Tristan just got back, too, from vacation, so she knows. Um, use your seat cushion as a life preserver. If there's not the, you know, the life jacket that you can self-inflate, know where the exit rows are, all those things. And so say if the pilot came um, to the flight attendants or called them, phoned them, had them come to the cockpit and told them that the plane was going down, shouldn't it be the response of the flight attendant to make the passengers aware of their best chances for survival? I want at the end of my life to be able to answer the question, that I did everything that I could as a believer to make sure that others were aware of their chances for survival and making it to heaven. Three ways Paul tells us that we will walk based on our identity in Christ. Last week I talked about walking in love. This week, walking in light, walking in wisdom. And as we're talking about um, walking, I think it's important to talk about one of the potholes that we can face and it's talked about here in verses 18 and 19. These false comforts. Look at verse 18. It says, do not overindulge in wine. A thing in which excess is so easy, but drink deeply of God's spirit. Why do you think the Apostle Paul compares overindulging with wine and drinking deeply of God's spirit? Wine or alcohol is a depressant, right? It stops or it greatly reduces the brain's activity. I had a pastor friend who came to me and said, Brother, I need prayer. And I said, Why? And he said, I am living my life out of balance as a pastor, as a shepherd. And I'm doing way too much. Just to get it going in the morning keep up the speed. I am like drinking multiple shots of espresso, coffee, I've got a Trente, cold brew all day long. And he says, and, and my heart's revved up, I'm just like going and going and going. Then I come home at night and my, my wife and my children are there and they want my attention and, and I'm like still like boom, the adrenaline, the rush that I have to go. And um, he said, I've got a stash of alcohol. And I go and hide. And I drink that alcohol to come down from the high. It's a depressant. At first I was like, wow, I drink a lot of coffee too. I was starting to feel a little bit convicted there. And just relating with him, just feeling his pain, he was overindulging. Now it's not wrong, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong to drink alcohol in moderation. But that's not the point that I'm making here. The 
point here is overindulging with wine and drinking in order as a depressant. See, both alcohol and the spirit help you deal with the pressures and disappointments of life. But they do it in different ways, right? Alcohol deadens our reaction, our responses. The spirit stimulates. Alcohol helps us to get rid of worry by making us forget. The spirit gets rid of worry by helping us to remember. Alcohol gives you courage by making you less aware of the dangers around you. The Spirit gives you courage by showing you how much bigger your God is than the things that you are facing. So Paul says, beware of these false comforts. Drink deeply of God's Spirit. And then I like what it says here. It says, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and offer praise in your hearts to the Lord. And I was thinking, you know, that would be pretty awkward if... Um, Somebody came up to me and said, I can't. Pastor Lance, I just can't. And, and then I just started singing to him. Oh, no, the Bible says you can do all things. <laughs> That's not what it's talking about, like singing to someone. No one wants me to sing to them. But what I think that this is saying, what Paul is saying here, is that when a believer, um, another person that you love and you care about comes to you and says, man, my life is filled with fear and anxiety, and, and, or they come to you and say, I can't. You can say, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The Bible says that if you place your mind upon Christ, you can have peace. The Bible says that you can have supernatural peace, peace that is beyond even your human understanding. See, we speak the words of God over people's lives. We respond by reminding them what God's word says and what God's word says. One of the best illustrations of this just happened just recently. And I'm going to have Lisa come, and I want her to share real quick a testimony of something that happened this past week. She was interviewing a, a gal who wasn't necessarily qualified for the position that we were seeking. She was qualified in other areas. But Lisa had done some research, and someone had said, this person is bubbly, this person has got, you know, just a great attitude, and I'm as gifted, and would just be a great person to have on your team. So Lisa's like, well, let me just interview them, and I'll have her come up and share what, what happened in that interview. So like you, like you said, um, this email was in my inbox for a while, and because I knew she really wasn't qualified, and, but I knew she was a Christian. And I kept on going back to that email. I'm like, I don't know. I need somebody, but I don't know. And so I talked to um, a, a gal, and she's like, oh, she's bubbly, and she, she'd be great. She'd be great for this position. And I'm like, well, all right. So I'll interview her when I get home. So I sat down with her, and it was opposite of what she had said. I was like, so um, what are your strengths, and what are your weaknesses? And she just looked at me, and she almost started crying. She's like, well, my friends would say I'm bubbly and that I have a lot of spirit in me. And um, I interned for Blackhawk. So she interned by Blackhawk when she was a worship leader. And it just wasn't lining up. It just wasn't lining up. And so I finished the interview and um, 
kind of closed it up, walked outside, and I said, the kids that were in the car and Lance was in the car, I said, there was something wrong. There was something wrong. I just did not feel right. And um, he's like, well, go back in. I said, no, that's that's weird. I'm interviewing this person. And <laughs> so no, I said, well, I'm going to go back in. So I, I went back in. She was still there. And I said, I have one more question for you. I said, are you okay? And she looked at me and she goes, like, like big eyes. And I'm like, you're not okay, are you? And she just started crying. And so I said, what's going on? And she's like, there's so much, there's so much that's going on in my past right now that it, it's being dug up and I don't feel, I'm like, I, I feel like I'm struggling with my faith right now. Like, like is there even a God? Do, do, I, am I even, do I even matter? And I said, oh, yes, you matter. And I said, I think God called this interview for me to tell you that you matter you're a child of God, and for me to pray with you. So I prayed with her, and I said, you need to take care of yourself, and um, that's what this interview was about. And um, so pay attention to what God's asking you to do. Take that step of faith and, and go to those three people that, that are placed. I've had a, another situation that happened this last week. Um, a lady walked up, and um, I had known her from like five years ago, she came in and she looked like she was depressed and stuff. And I said, are you, how are you, how are you doing? And she's like, well, I'm trying to move up here and my grandkids are up here. And I said, well, I'm going to pray for you. And she looked at me and said, thank you. Because people don't speak those words anymore. You don't hear, I'm going to pray for you anymore these days. And they need to hear that. So as you're out and about, you need to be walking in the faith and say, I'm going to pray for you. And people are looking for that. So. Amen. It's a perfect illustration of that, just speaking psalms and hymns and truths over people's lives and um, seeing the Spirit set them free, seeing that lie being rebuked in the name of Jesus. Like Lisa, you said that, you said there's like a spirit of depression upon you, and we're just going to come against that right now in prayer together and I just believe that that's a divine appointment and we live in a world right now that you know that has perverted the meaning of love it's not ashamed of sin it doesn't care about honesty it's as the Old Testament prophet Isaiah spoke in Isaiah 520 woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter and Jesus is calling us right now to walk in light, to be children of the light, to walk in, in wisdom and show the world the fruit of the Spirit. And for this to work in our lives, we have to be together as the body of Christ. You know, church is not a destination, it's our identity. And it's being together. It's, you know, for all this to happen, for us to receive counsel from others, for us to get close enough to be able to speak these things in people's life, we have to be close. One of my um, sayings lately has been, and I've heard Matt and Allison shared, I think maybe even Allison is one I got it from, was it's time to come to the table, and to sit together at the table. We need the body of Christ. We need people to come to the table right now. Why don't you stand with me this morning?
I'd be wrong if I didn't give an opportunity right now. For those of you who may be watching online or even here this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's where it all goes back to Ephesians 5 verse 1. Be imitators of God's beloved children. If you feel like you're not a child of God, you're not one of his children, I want to give you an opportunity this morning. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can have a relationship with Christ this morning. You can go from darkness to light. And if you haven't done it yet, you can do it right now. So let's just bow our heads right now. In your own words, just pray a prayer like this, Father, I confess that I'm lost, that I'm in darkness, that my life is absent of your light. And I feel right now your spirit calling me out of darkness and into light. And I believe, Jesus, that you died and that you gave your life on the cross for my sins. You died for me. I believe, Lord, that you were placed in the grave and three days later you rose again, conquering death in the grave. And so, Lord, I confess my sins. I believe with my heart. And the Bible says if you've done that right now, however way you just prayed that prayer, you reached out to the Father and you felt his spirit calling you. The Bible says that you are saved. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Father, we know that the angels rejoice over that one, Lord, who gives their life to Christ, who's called out of darkness and into light. With your head still bowed, if you've accepted Christ, but your light has grown dim, and you feel like you haven't been walking in love, you haven't been walking in light, you haven't been walking in wisdom. You've been building your own kingdom, concerned about yourself instead of others. Maybe the fruit of the light, the fruit of the spirit is not evident in your life. I wanna call you this morning to redeem the time, to recommit your life to Christ. And if that's you, no one's, no one's looking. I just want you to raise your hand as a sign. It's taking that sign and saying, I recommit, I rededicate my life. I want to redeem the time. You don't have to be embarrassed or ashamed. Thanks, brother. Anyone else? Father, just pray for my brother who raised his hand this morning. It's a sign of wanting to reconnect, to shine brighter, to reflect the sun. He wants to soak, Lord, in your presence so that he can shine bright for you.
Lord, we all want to shine bright for you. Lord, I just love that picture. Soaking in your word. Soaking in prayer. Absorbing your light, Lord, so that we can radiate the light and the life of Christ to those who are walking aimlessly in darkness around us. Father, I pray that your spirit would fill us afresh in Jesus' name. That all those things that are written in Galatians 5 would be evident in our life. Goodness and truth and righteousness and peace. All the fruits of the spirit, all nine of them, Lord. Fill our cup this morning, Lord. Fill it up. Let it overflow, Lord. Lord, I feel like we've we become lazy in the church. Especially, it's been so easy, Lord, in the last year to do so. Because we've been disconnected from one another. So easy in, in the Midwest, in the cold, to stay hunkered down and stay away. But you're calling us forth, Lord, to be light. To be light, we have to be close. We have to be close. Let's worship him in this closing song this morning as well as Judah leads us. And I'll be right back for the benediction.